0: Good afternoon everybody and thanks for tuning in to a very special episode of Talking to the Wall podcast. I have two uh, extraordinarily intelligent people with me today unlike my, my usual uh, guests but as always we have a, a pair of brothers here today uh, Brian and Kevin McGovern who are going to talk about some interesting stuff that they've been involved in over the last what did you say seven years uh, well, since 2012, 13, so seven,
1: seven, eight years. Yes. Right.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about yourselves before we get into the, 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 uh, meat and potatoes of this.
2: Okay.
1: Kevin, you want to go first?
0: I, I,
2: I can do that. My name's Kevin McGovern. I am a, um, producer director for West Virginia public broadcasting. I've written several screenplays and stage plays and other kinds of, um, literary products and i am right now involved in helping my brother write and a biography the first comprehensive biography of the civil rights activist robert Russa moton who was significant and and pivotal uh a figure in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in advancing the civil rights movement And I think Brian can tell you a little more about that at this point. So
1: Brian McGovern, uh, I've been uh, working on this project for, as Mark said, about the last seven or eight years. Uh, Kevin has joined in the effort in the last, I guess you'd say three or four years, uh, starting out with the research, the committed of the contract, decided that we would simply just be uh, co-authors of of the book. So we have traveled together, we've we've gone on research trips. Uh, I am also uh, an adjunct uh, professor of history at at Rappahannock Community College and I have also been a social studies teacher for going into my 18th year in Gloucester and in York County, uh, Virginia. Uh, My master's is in history from uh, Old Dominion University and my undergraduate in social studies education is from Indiana university of Pennsylvania.
0: Outstanding. That's quite the, the curriculum vitae for both of you. So you've been, um, uh, what, what I find most intriguing about this as I have a, a degree in African-American African studies, certainly, uh, from the university of Virginia, I graduated in 1995 and I can honestly attest that I never heard Mr. Moten's name once during that, uh, during those four years worth of study. So uh, a very underappreciated, if not completely overlooked individual outside of a sole historical marker here in Gloucester County, Virginia, where he was uh, a resident. So what is his significance? And I'm sure this is gonna, this is a, that's a huge broad question for both of you, but what, what, um, what role has he played in, in American history in, in, the, in the pursuit of uh, equality for African-Americans within America? Well for
1: for a little bit of background Moton's life spanned from uh, right around the end of the Civil War and he died just before U.S. involvement in World War II. So he lived for 72 years. Uh, he was the son of ex-slaves born in central Virginia. Uh, he was his his upbringing was on an old plantation so his his experiences with people who were not his relatives were mostly white people his father was the farm manager his mother was the plantation cook eventually robert became a, a house servant by the time he was a teenager he was uh, about 15 he was over six feet tall he was eloquent he could give speeches he looked older than he looked like he was at least in his 20s uh, SO IMPRESSIVE WAS HE THAT LOCAL POLITICAL LEADERS WANTED HIM TO RUN FOR OFFICE. WHEN THEY FOUND OUT THAT HIS MOTHER WOULD NOT LIE ABOUT HIS AGE, THEY DECIDED TO GO WITH SOMEONE ELSE. BUT Moten, uh WANTED TO PURSUE EDUCATION. HE WANTED TO EITHER BE A TEACHER OR A LAWYER. SO HE ENDED UP AT HAMPTON INSTITUTE, FAILED THE ENTRANCE EXAM THE FIRST TIME, BUT they THEY WERE IMPRESSED WITH HIM TOO. And they kept him, and throughout his years there, he was he impressed them as a student leader, and he he wanted to return to Central Virginia, but uh, Samuel Armstrong, the founder of of Hampton, uh, saw something in Moton that he didn't want to let get away, so he kept Moton there, and Moton became the the head of military science and the dean of men, uh, position that he held for about twenty five years. During that time period, he becomes acquainted in in the latter part of those years with Booker T. Washington, who was uh, the the preeminent educator, the most well-known and influential African-American, founder of Tuskegee in 1881 until his death in 1915. So they became travel companions, they become good friends, uh, and Washington... Is the leader of one side of the African American community. By the 1890s, as, as you're well aware, Mark and Kevin, you are as well. Uh, their Southern states, in particular, uh, passed laws and new constitutions that disenfranchised their black citizens, uh, created Jim Crow laws and norms, and ramped up uh, racial violence. So all those things are going on and the black community is responding in various ways. And Washington's thinking is, is that we should acquiesce to, to that and deal with, deal with the situation as it is and equality will eventually come through education and thrift and hard work and owning property. Uh, very much kind of a capitalistic gilded age uh, mentality Mm-hmm. Now he's almost immediately challenged by people like John Hope and Monroe Trotter and W. E. B. Du Bois, uh, and and they demand immediate equality as guaranteed in in the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth amendments. Uh, but it's Washington who who definitely has more political influence. Moton in those years was definitely an ally of Washington.
0: Really. Well, Yes, absolutely. Interesting, because you know Washington is is fairly famous for uh, his acquiescence and you know not really um, striving for equality as as fervently as he may should have.
1: And 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 Moton generally adhered to that. His experiences with white people, up until he's about fifty years old, were generally uh, very positive. So he's an ally. He is an ally of Washington uh for a while now he's gonna he's gonna shift as washington dies and uh moton has become somewhat of a national figure because of his uh travels with washington and he has a reputation of being very likable and diplomatic and tactful and one of the the trustees gets on the on tuskegee gets to, gets to know moton Uh, and pushes for Moten to become the uh, successor to to Booker Washington and that trustee's name was Theodore Roosevelt and so Moten takes over becomes Booker Washington's successor and for the first four or five years he is he is very conservative he has to prove himself he has to more or less earn tenure so to speak in that job but I have observed, and other historians have ob- observed that uh Moton was not he was he was confined by that washingtonian BOOKWRIGHT accommodationist uh circle. He even believed that as as tensions arose between Washington and Du Bois Moton did not think that was a good thing, and he thought that they should work more in harmony and over time. He gets to that point, but he maintains his influence w- with very powerful political leaders. Uh, he, is, he is an advisor to five sitting presidents and advises two former presidents. So he is uh, acquainted with and admired by every president between Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, he is he he uh, um, investigates racism among white officers in World War One. He is hmm. uh, charged with uh, giving the keynote speech at the Lincoln Memorial in 1922. Wow. Uh, he's, he's changing by that point in time. And the original draft of his speech was definitely what one might call a radical speech, mm-hmm. where he points out that Lincoln's call for equality had not been anywhere close to being achieved by 1922. So he points out the social, the economic, the political disparities between black and white, and so blunt was this speech that uh, the the head of the memorial committee, who was at that time U.S. Supreme Court Justice William Howard Taft, asked him to uh, edit his speech to tone it Moton does that, but he still gets out the message of uh, equality. that was in 1922 and the following year in 1923 uh they the department the the veterans bureau decides to build a veterans hospital in tuskegee and uh it creates a firestorm and there could have been much violence because moton insisted that uh the staff, the professional staff, African-Americans, that that they be African-Americans, the doctors, the nurses, with the possible exception of the hospital administrator. That didn't sit well with with whites of the South. And some historians have pointed out that the racial divide is not simply social, it's also economic. That when when African-Americans achieve what Washington envisioned being property owners, middle class, uh, craftsmen, or professionals, then the white community reacts. And we we see that in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898. Recently, it's, you know, people have learned a little bit more about the the Tulsa uh, destruction of the Greenwood community in 1921. And in 1923, when, you know, white Alabamans say, well, we're going to have you know, black doctors and nurses living in our neighborhood, we can't have that. Shies in suits in Moten's office threatened him with lynching and threatened to burn down Tuskegee Institute. Wow. Moten stood his ground. And he was willing to let himself be lynched if it put an end to to the practice of lynching, which was on the increase, especially since World War I, the Great Migration, which sure. also around the time of, of Washington's death. I'm going to pause there and see if Kevin wants to um, add his perspective to that, or Mark, if you have any follow-up questions with that, either one.
2: I, I was just going to jump in and say, uh, you know, reacting to some of what you've been saying, Brian, um, the thing that impresses me about Robert Moton, and, you know, speaking as a non-historian, but just a, a, a human observer, he seemed to be one of those unique people who could, um, he had he had a kind of a, of, a, of an essential like a spiritual essence to him where he could be function as a great peacemaker between people and groups and ideas, but at the same time be very firm about mm-hmm. things um, when he needed to be on on you know th- on, on principles and, and values and so forth. There was some kind of of, of uh, spiritual essence in him that, mm-hmm. that um, whatever that is and, and y- you encounter or see people just very rarely who seem to have that um, strength of character down at their very core where mm-hmm. they're able to be you know very very modest and self-effacing and willing to compromise and find commonalities between people when they have to do that which is most of the time but then are are also willing to to be 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 firm and resolute about the things they feel they need to be so about mm. and uh, it's it it made him a unique it makes him a unique figure in american history and one that is probably Has been under recognized up to this point because he was so you know he wasn't a great noise maker so to speak i think history sometimes gives a little too much attention to the the people who've made a lot of noise or or given off a lot of um flashiness um i'm trying to find the right words to it but i think you know what i'm or i think you know what i'm talking about you know the, the 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 the, the people who kind of stand out who make a, a good uh, story, so to speak, and not the people who, who uh, less so, the people who just made quiet but very effective contributions mm, that right. really moved history and the human race forward in an important way, but maybe isn't recognized as much because they did it in just in a quietly efficient way rather than a way that makes a good movie of the week. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, and 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 certainly Washington gained a lot of attention for his, uh, as I say, his acquiescence of we can be as uh, separate as the fingers, but as joined as as the ha- uh, as the hand, and sort of you know endorsing segregation, endorsing second class citizenship, and all the, the the perils that come along with that, uh, and then you've got Du Bois who's um, knows more words than the, than the dictionary and knows how to put them in an eloquent fashion, which can really sting Washington, uh, in the souls of black folks. And, um, so I get what you're saying that he, he, he might not have kicked up as much sand necessarily as, as those two did.
2: And, and the boys is a perfect example of the kind of person who I think has gotten more attention precisely, precisely because he was more that kind of uh, flashy, ostentatious kind of person who, you know, got a, mm-hmm. an, an an emptier barrel who made more noise, so to speak. And that's, that's why he, uh, not he, I mean, he certainly made important contributions too, but again, he's got more attention because he was, he was, um, he makes a better, uh, uh, you know. He, he's
0: quite forceful too, with, with his ideas. He's more, he's showier, you know. Sure. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you get a Ph.D. from uh, Harvard, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, to me, Washington sort of embodies the submission, submissive nature of that time, which is, you know, not, I'm not condemning it at all. It's totally understandable. Um, whereas, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois is, is quite fiery and forceful with his word choice and his metaphors, and he's quite, I mean, extremely eloquent, very difficult to read for some people. So it sounds like Moton may be kind of a – happy balance of those two i
1: i would say I, I would agree that he he absolutely is and i certainly agree with all of, of kevin's points that one one of the things that attracted people to moton was his 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 tact um his his diplomacy uh booker washington once said of of moton that uh from from the first time you meet him and And you don't know how he does it, but somehow he makes you love him and Washington said that that Moton was one of his favorite people to be around and actually later on Du Bois said that as well Interesting. but he and du Bois were were friendly at 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 times. Moton was very um uh he he, he didn't retaliate against Du Bois and, and Du Bois at times was very critical and sometimes very exaggerating and misquoted Moten a lot. I I think he, Du Bois in the early years of Moten was trying to push Moten out of the way and Moten had to be very cautious. He had to prove that he was a, a, a as an effective of fundraiser as Washington was. He had to please the board of trustees in the first few years, but after 1921 1922 and certainly 23 when he's fighting for the for the veterans hospital which he won he needed he didn't get lynched and he got his way and and that became the only uh segregated black veterans hospital in american history remained so until after the brown decision in 1954 and the veterans hospital is still there today Mm -hmm. Uh, so Moton was able to change with the times, and was able to adapt to this changing culture in the country—a more militant African American community, which was which was called by the mid-20s the the, the 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 culture of the new Negro, mm-hmm. and the Great Migration and and the World War One experience certainly fueled that, and and the Great Migration led to uh, cultu- cultural urban communities in the north, you know, the Harlem Renaissance, which wasn't just in Harlem, New York. It was in the south side of Chicago and, and other cities. And Moton was able to adapt and adjust and remain a leader in ways that I think would have been difficult for Washington because he seemed to be stuck in accommodationism. But what a lot of people don't necessarily realize about Washington is behind the scenes He, you know, worked against disenfranchisement. He sponsored uh, court suits that were designed to uh, undermine disenfranchisement law. So he was, you know, the the Bookerites and the radicals were really pushing for the same things, but they had different strategies. And Moten tended to, I think, blur that dividing line between the Bookerites, the more conservatives, and, and the radicals, and that unity that was forged. I don't think Moton did it all, but you know, he he came to accept the NAACP. In fact, in the Tuskegee hospital fight, he used them. And the NAACP eventually gives Moton the Springarn award and mm-hmm. and a com you know a, a, somebody who is traditionally an accommodationist. So I think that forging of a greater sense of unity in the African American community is one of the things that made possible, and without this, the, the, post, the post-World War II Civil Rights Movement may not have been as effective. But I think it was very effective in the years that it, it persisted because Moten and others were instrumental in, in blurring that dividing line and you had a much more united African American community. Mm-hmm.
2: That, that's true and i i think there's an irony that people like this are so important in the world and yet are so underrecognized and maybe they're even undervalued and under um, appreciated sometimes and yet what they do is so important and and you can you can see it in lots of different kinds of situations the people who are trying to find the middle ground who are the, the compromise that we that we Need in, in order for all of us to move forward, you know, in a democratic society, is such an important thing to be able to do, and yet the, the people who do it and the skill of doing it seem seem to be under recognized and under appreciated a lot of times because it's the it's the it's the showboaters that seem to naturally grab the most um, attention which is what i think the value is of a book like this to to um you know to tell the story of someone who who was like this and who was so Mm -hmm. important because of the way he was and show people the value of that so maybe it'll get you know recognized a little more or something
0: well i know i'm very excited to read and i hope the uh that this podcast encourages others to uh make time to read it upon release but uh, given the fact that Brian and I live here in Gloucester County, Brian, you live about what a mile from the Moton Center currently? Yeah,
1: Moton's uh, last home is known as Holly Knoll. Today. It's uh, owned and operated by an organization known as the Gloucester Institute. and they have owned it since about 2006. Moton actually lived in, in the 20 or so room house there. For the last five years of his life, um, he had started to have some health issues around 1925, and gets better, and then he gets worse again. So he decides to retire in 1935, and uh, this this building of this house was kind of part of his retirement package that was financed by um, wealthy philanthropists who had who had been beneficiaries of Tuskegee as as well as Hampton. Moton had actually owned that property since 1922. He got it, I believe, it was in a uh, foreclosure, and he had a an old farmhouse there. I don't even think ever had electricity. Uh, that was across Almondsville Road, and so when he retired, and they 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 summered there, they traveled back from Tuskegee, and uh, he and his wife and five children spent their summers there. But when he retired, he became a full time resident. Uh, Moton's wife, Jenny, was, her family uh, was from Gloucester. She was one of, I think, 10 or 11 uh, children. And um, many of them are still around the, the, the Gloucester area today. And he died there in 1940. He wanted to write, he wanted to do more public speaking, but, and he did have visitors um, of, of varying levels of importance, but his health really prevented him from doing as much as he really wanted to do. But part of the legacy of Moton is so much history has been made at that house since his death. It's right. sometimes called fatal cradle of the civil rights movement, which a lot of people even around here don't know. That some of the civil rights events were planned, I understand the Greensboro sit in in part was planned at that house. So it was kind of a retreat center, and as wow. people know around very out of the way and uh white businessmen and 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 leaders who were of prominence would go there by boat they would park their cars i guess in in west point and they would sail there by boat and by night to avoid being detected they didn't want people to know where they were going Uh, martin luther king was known to have spent some time there we don't know if the, if the myth is true that he sat under the big oak tree there and composed the March on Washington speech, uh, he had various versions of that speech, but certainly the amount of time that he spent there and the atmosphere certainly um, lends itself to composing such eloquent words. Uh, John Lewis, whose life we're commemorating and honoring this week. Uh, he had spent some time there as well, as mm-hmm. well as uh, former U.N. Ambassador Andrew Young and a number of others of, of prominence. The United Negro Grow College Fund was founded there just four years after Moten died as well. So a lot of the history there really happened after Moten's death via his name and his, his legacy.
0: Uh, yeah, it would sound like the, the house and property itself might deserve a, uh, a book on its own, that there's a wealth of, of uh information there that is widely unknown and un uh, unappreciated
1: yes and and i am uh we're, we're really considering a follow-up book uh on on the history of events that have occurred at that house part of the the challenge to that is they didn't keep hard fast records because what they were doing there was changing the history of the country and so they didn't purposely didn't keep records so we're uh, trying to reach out to people who have been there and been there during that time and I've been, managed to talk to a few people. I had reached out a, a few months ago to Congressman Lewis's office and they ultimately did uh do an interview so unfortunately I never had the honor and won't now of, of speaking with uh, Mr. Lewis and his experiences there but certainly his spirit and, and Dr. Moten's and King and, and many others uh, yeah, still still live there, and it's it's quite an experience just to go there on a nice day and walk around, and it's uh, uh, you know along along the riverfront there.
2: Mm-hmm. Moton
1: was actually uh, the, the, a bit of, of interest. He was an avid fisherman, and he would brag about catching six seven hundred fish a day. <laughs> I think he exaggerated there a little bit, despite his eye level. Would have fish the river you know there have been no fish left but he did have he did have a boat there for about five years and used you know the york river and fox creek which is behind the property mm-hmm. a lot so uh, and he and booker washington were fishing buddies as well
0: well a good a good fisherman is best at exaggeration so um so um with any historical book like this, obviously a a significant amount of research is going to have to go on. Can you talk a little bit uh, about what you've done in in terms of uh, 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 acquiring all this information? Well, I I can start with that
1: and maybe Kevin can jump in there because he certainly joined me as as a fellow traveler along the way in this, but it really started with a lot of reading about the time period of what I could find on Moton's life. Moton's written about in, in many volumes, but often it's he's the end of a sentence, a comma. Moton, you know, Robert Moton, Booker Washington's successor at Tuskegee. And a lot of historians have missed, you know, he's been painted as an accommodation, but that's really an incomplete uh, story. So it started with with a lot of reading. Uh, on it. It started with getting to know uh, Jenny Moten's niece, whose name was Mary Booth Bright, longtime resident of Gloucester. She had lived in New York City for a long time too. And she adored her uncle Robert, who was her uncle by marriage. So I spent some time with her and her relating her personal experiences of Moten. I've gotten to know um, other relatives of Moten, uh, his uh, great-great-niece, who also lives in, in the Richmond area, and she, her name is Avis, and she has conveyed uh, a lot of information about the genealogy of the family. I've gotten to know um, some of his great-great, uh, a great-great-nephew and a great-great-niece on the other side. And recently I had the honor of uh, talking to on the phone, uh, Dr. Moten's great grandson, uh, who lives in the South Carolina area, along with his, his wife as well. So it's been a, a, a treasure to, to get to know them and a number of other uh, relatives. I spoke to one uh, uh, a, a lady a couple of weeks ago, who's around 90 years old, and she actually remembers meeting Robert Moton, along with his mother, Emily Moton jeter who lived well into her, her uh, 80s. So that's been part of the research process. It has also involved, I think now, three trips to the Library of Congress, where uh, there is a, a large collection of Moton family papers. And it also involved uh, Kevin and I traveling to Tuskegee University last summer mm-hmm. and spending a week at their archives there, just putting a dent in uh, the, I think it's 197 boxes of Moten files there from just his 20 years as principal of Tuskegee. So we are trying to get back there. Uh, and with COVID, we're running into some delays with that because their you know, visitation there is very limited. Um, in 2017, my wife Beth, Beth and I spent a couple days out in Prince Edward in Amelia County. Uh, went to see his boyhood home, which is also in the National Registry of Historic Places. But it's, it's, uh, it looks like it's about ready to fall down. Uh, it's believed that he was born in a, in a nice house on Sailor's Creek battlefield, so we visited there as well. That house was actually a, a, a hospital uh, during the Battle of Sailor's Creek, hospital to both Union and Confederate uh, forces. And the family included the enslaved population, which included Moton's mother, Emily, when she was a teenager. Uh, they were holed up in the basement of the house as blood dripped down from the wounded. Uh, onto them. So that's quite a story. We, we don't know 100% for sure that Moton was born in that house, but that's what's established uh, wisdom in, in Amelia County. Uh, we've spent some time, Kevin and I have spent some time at Hampton. I've been there a number of times and I've been in their archives as well, which gives some insight on Moton's years. Uh, 1890 to 1915 when he was at at Hampton
2: Right, so, I was um uh, excuse me I, I was at I, a library of congress with you twice right you were we were there twice I was there once you were there once by yourself
1: yeah mm-hmm. last year so it's right. it's involved some travel it's involved a lot of of reading um a lot of communication between kevin and i were co-authoring this book but we live five hours apart
2: so you don't want to talk any about the the frustrations we've had trying to get in at at, um tuskegee this summer the the archives do you it's it's a little bit of of a mystery i don't know how much brian wants to would want to say about it but um it's there must be a lot of chaos going on down there because we would try to schedule and then they change us and then they change us again and not have a lot of explanation sometime and we're not Mm -hmm. sure what's going on down there but we're we're hopeful that we're going to get there it it looks like we won't get there this summer now but we're going to get try to find a break during the school year maybe um you know right
0: um well, if, Al- yeah, uh, if Alabama is anything like other southern states, they perhaps are overwhelmed with uh, the virus right now. That's, that's our guess. Yeah. They're just they're just
2: in such chaos
0: down there right. over trying to deal with all this.
2: Yeah, I,
1: I think Alabama is is worse off than Virginia. But Tuskegee University is planning on face to face classes and beginning early in I think August eleventh. But as far as visitation on the campus, it is. Uh, it's somewhat uh, limited. Uh, So we're not sure if we're gonna get back. It still remains a possibility, but we really do need to make another visit there before this book is really uh, complete. And uh, so that, uh, you know, uh, we're not sure. If it it doesn't happen by August, um, that may delay the uh, submission of the manuscript and release of the book, certainly by months. It could put us into, uh, you know, into the following year to be able to get this out. We are under contract with the University of Alabama Press as of, of May, they had verbally agreed uh, to publish it uh, back in, in January. And there were some delay, delays with that and contract negotiations that we finally signed off on that uh, in May. So, um, and they're they're very understanding with with COVID delays. As far as um, you know, they they're not even expecting any of their authors to travel at uh, this point in time. So, you know, we we had hoped to get it released earlier, but and we're hoping COVID is gone by next year so that we can actually do this and get this on the shelf. We are looking to. Uh, hopefully generate interest among academic historians as well as general audiences as well as people interested in african-american history Mm -hmm. uh so we're 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 hoping that it's and it's it's the first ever comprehensive biography of Moton. there was a book released in 1956 edited by frederick patterson his son-in-law that was really a collection of essays uh, of people who knew Moten and their perspectives on him. The book also included the first four chapters of Moten's autobiography, which he published in 1920. But this is the first objective, comprehensive, full-length biography that goes from his his ancestry up, really, and through his legacy up to the present day, and certainly the most the, the important events
2: of his
0: life. Well, that's very exciting i'm looking forward to reading it
2: the, uh, um, the challenge um in writing a uh, i think looking at this from like the the uh the, from the viewpoint of the of, of the non-historian writer person involved in the process is that you you need it to be two things you need it to be good history and you need it to be a good story for as brian says a general leadership not just people who are are historians or who happen to be interested in African-American history and uh, you know the 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 challenge in writing history is history has a tendency to get um, it's kind of a a bottomless pit of information when you start looking in like the more you look the more you um, you see it's like a Mandelbrot set of information. You know you the more you look into a period the more little details you can find about everything that was happening there and the trick is really To writing a good to making a good story out of it is filtering You know filtering through all of the information and finding the essential thread dramatic thread of of a, of a, of a narrative story of somebody's life from beginning to end told in a compelling way and and um I think that's where my contribution here is useful because I can read what Brian has written as a non-historian, and kind of think, well, these are the parts that really grip you, and this is this is part over here gets a little bit uh, dull, so maybe let's edit some of that out and you know, fashion it into something that is compelling for. The, the general reader, the average reader, and I'm very average, so I'm good at doing that, you know, looking at it from that viewpoint and, and uh, you know, saying, you know, this is what we need to do to fashion it into something that's that's going to be digestible for the general reader, but also very informative, certainly, very, very uh, um, valuable as a history lesson.
0: Right. I think the best biographies are those which uh, highlight the humanity, the the personhood of the individual and bring the,
2: the part that the average person can identify with the common
0: humanity. Exactly. And then these, which,
2: which is the, the essence of all drama, the, what makes it all work, you know, identifying with the, the hero quote unquote. Sure. sure. Identifying with his struggle and joining in it with him in a, in a sense.
0: Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, um, but we are just about out of time, I believe. Um, Brian, would you like to plug your Facebook page? Uh, sure. I uh, several years ago I
1: started a Facebook uh, group uh, called Robert Russa Moton: uh, The Story of America's Forgotten Civil Rights Leader. And one note on that is, I'm going back to referring his, pronouncing his middle name as Russa. I did that originally and was corrected by a number of people who said it was rusa but his great grandson has told me that the family has always pronounced it russa so i would i would be inclined to go along with those who are directly descended from him assuming that it was passed down from robert moten to his son robert uh the second to his son robert the third and ultimately down to uh, stephen so um, um, I'm going to pronounce it that way. But the Facebook group is a kind of highlighting the journey of our research in places we've been. It's a, a place to generate interest about Moten. Occasionally I have quotes on, on Moten on there. Um, and so that's, that certainly has generated uh, some interest in people on there who comment, really seem to like it and i'll throw in a note there i think kevin uh, underestimates himself a little bit I, he's he's a literary genius and he takes what i write which often sounds like a very detailed research paper and really um certainly does not embellish it but certainly has a command of vocabulary that makes it sound more like a novel but without altering at all the uh historical validity of of the writing so that's there,
2: there aren't m- many literary geniuses in in beckley west virginia but i'll take the, qu- the compliment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you, you might have a monopoly on it uh, there i had held up kevin's uh short story before which is published on amazon uh, the the wind and the darkness which is a, a great short story so he's kevin's kevin's a published fiction author uh playwright screenwriter and we're thinking uh, that Moton's life lends itself to uh, a documentary screenplay, something visual wow. that would uh, highlight his life, and and certainly part of that would be the drama of the Tuskegee Veterans Hospital fight. And I think it would be a superb movie. And and Kevin is is a a, a gifted screenwriter, mm-hmm. so. We're hoping to I see think that.
2: It's, oh, sorry, Brian, I didn't mean to, to step on you, um there. But I certainly think it could make an inspiring dramatic story. I haven't seen the whole story yet. We haven't gotten I haven't gotten to the end of it yet from what Brian is giving me, but it seems like that kind of a I said before it makes me think of the story of Gandhi, you know, a man who was very unassuming but had a great spiritual essence and made a huge difference in the history of the world because of, of precisely because he was that kind of a person and, and could make such a push back against a seemingly invincible power and change it. And this I Moten makes me think of him because he was also I think that kind of a person who was quietly heroic. I think you could put it that way. A quiet hero. Somebody who Sort of makes a difference not by in a, in a flamboyant, outwardly flamboyant way, but simply by quietly but, but firmly over time pushing against the powers that be until he makes the rock, makes the, the whole landscape move into something better. You know, hmm. and I think those always make good stories, those tend to make good stories. So,
0: mm-hmm. well, great. Uh, again, fellas, this has been fascinating, and I do hope we get to reconvene uh, after or even before publication and discuss more of this. I've learned a lot today, and I think our listeners will too. But um, I certainly would like to come back together with you either just prior to publication or just immediately after to talk about your overall sense of accomplishment, what what what's happening in the world of uh, history in terms of teaching others about a very, as we've established, a very uh, underappreciated and underrecognized figure uh, in uh, African-American history. Um, so I, I really appreciate you giving up your time today to join us. I hope you've enjoyed and it. And if
2: I can throw out one more thing. Please. Think, think about the relevancy of what we're doing to what is happening right now in the country. The new awareness of racism and, 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 and the urgency of doing something mm-hmm. about it. I mean, this, this has in a, in a sense, has never been more timely than right now, if you
0: think about it. Yes, certainly. And uh, I, I'm uh, long uh, long of the idea that you cannot have American history without African American history. It's an incomplete uh, study. So anything that we can add and really African American history, African history for that matter, really kind of became popular, oh, I, I guess, uh, around the 1970s. Really blossomed in the 1990s, and uh, it's it's great to see that that still that that energy is still uh, growing and 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 widening the picture and the scope of important uh, individuals within this country who have uh, who contributed. But like you say, kind of uh, was happy to stand in the shadows and strike a happy medium between charismatic and 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 fiery and you know uh, quiet and uh, submissive. Uh, so. Final thoughts, Brian. Uh, just want to say thank you to you, Mark, uh,
1: for giving us this uh, opportunity, and we're certainly. I second that. <laughs> well of of uh, you know building upon this as we get uh, closer to the release of the book. Publishing is a is a long process, even after you submit uh, a manuscript. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're looking, you know, it would, hopefully within a couple of years, we'll have this book on, on, the, on the shelf. So, uh, and, we, you know, we look forward to going around to different places and doing book talks and, and so forth. Yeah, that's exciting. To get out about the book. But this is, this is a foundational step doing a podcast and other
0: interviews. Uh, let people know this is on the way. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, like I say, I've learned a lot. It's a very interesting uh, discussion about our general hometown and, of course, our our country and its uh, its ever struggle to uh, make things right per the Constitution. So, uh, thanks for joining us today. I hope you both have a great, cool day. It's only about 105 degrees outside. Um, so, uh, and we'll reconvene uh, in the hopefully in the near future to continue the discussion. Sound good?
2: Looking forward to it. All
0: right, All right. gentlemen. <laughs> Everybody, thanks for tuning in. I hope you all have gotten something from it. This has been a very lively, uh, interesting discussion, and um, uh, we'll see you again on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in.